You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Hello, everyone, and happy, happy Hall of Fame week. Uh, I'm Allison Footer from MLB.com, and this is obviously a huge week for a lot of baseball fans, especially those in Houston, Texas, Astros fans. Jeff Bagwell, of course, was recently announced as the newest member, newest electee of the Baseball Hall of Fame. He will be inducted this summer, so he will go in with uh, Tim Raines and Pudge Rodriguez. Just a wonderfully exciting time. Seventh year on the ballot, so it took him a a little while to get in. And and so I want this podcast, of course, we will be hearing from Jeff a little bit later in this podcast, a few of his brief comments, but I wanted this to be more of a podcast about Jeff Bagwell talking about um, him as a, a, a player, but also him as a person as a teammate, um, why he's so beloved. I want to kind of get into all of that. I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about the offensive numbers that, of course, got him into the Hall of Fame and 449 home runs and 1,529 RBIs. And we know everything that he was able to do on the field in, the, in that way. And that is what gets you into Hall of Fame. But there's so much more involved with Jeff Bagwell. Um, and, and so I, I kind of want to get into that. As a little bit of a background, I have been around the Astros for about 20 years now, but my first my first years were in uh, starting in 1997 through 2000. I was in the media relations office. I was very, I was a kid kind of just learning, going along and learning as I went along. Um, and so it was, it was a wonderful time, of course, to, to be around the Houston Astros. They won the division in 97, 98, 99. But at that time, I was struck. I was struck by a lot of things, very impressionable. But I was struck by how well-liked Jeff Bagwell was. Not for his playing ability, but for the person that he is. Um, everybody loved this guy. And when I say loved him, I mean every current teammate, former teammate, reporter, um, not just the Houston reporters, but the national reporters who had gotten to know him, um, broadcasters, of course fans, but anybody who knew him just loved him and over time I realized you know why that was and and not that there aren't a lot of you know liked baseball players and well-respected baseball players but Jeff had has a a, just a special quality about him um, being extremely approachable um, being very relatable and and that has that resonates with people extremely respectful insightful um just an all-around decent, gener- genuinely kind and generous person. And um, and so I really believe that this summer in Cooperstown is going to be quite the party. I cannot imagine how many of his friends, former teammates, colleagues are going to flock to Cooperstown to celebrate uh, this particular induction. Um, that is how well-liked and well-respected he is. A lot of people showed up for Craig Biggio two years ago. Of course, that was a huge deal because Craig was the first Astro to be uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yes, there have been many players who played for the Astros but um, who are in the Hall of Fame, but they are not wearing Astros caps, of course. So Craig is the first Astro in that respect, and Jeff will be the second. Of course, this is so fitting, right? And so, um, I mean, Astros fans have obviously been waiting a very long time. Bagwell and Biggio have been synonymous with each other. Their names are almost one. They're so closely linked together, of course, because they play their entire careers for the Astros, they were Astros at the same time. Uh, Craig, I think, uh, had maybe th- two years ahead of, of Jeff. Um, 
but really, you know, came in in the early 90s when the team was terrible and rebuilding and building toward a future. And then and then when the team became good and they were the leaders and they were the catalyst and the main reason, really, why why the Astros started winning those divisions, uh, division titles and um, and things just got better as the years went on. So. So, yes, yeah, so so they are synonymous, very, very different people, very special people in their own right. But of course, this is about Jeff Bagwell. So getting ready for this uh, this week and this announcement and the press conferences, of course, you don't wait. You don't wait until the actual announcement is made. Once we saw that Jeff was definitely trending toward being elected, you put the wheels in motions ahead of time. So I contacted a lot of his former teammates just to get their perspective on Jeff as a, as a player, as a person. It's very emotional um, time for a lot of people, which is really cool. Um, so just, you know, the outpouring of, of just sheer joy uh, from Moises Alou, Brad Osmus, Mike Hampton, Adam Everett, Phil Garner, his former uh, coach and manager. Um, just people so incredibly genuinely happy for the fact that Jeff is in the Hall of Fame. Are going to be in the Hall of Fame soon. Um, and even when Jeff was a, an active player, like I remember specifically in 2005 when the Astros won the pennant. And of course, it's the first and only pennant they've won. And it was sort of a poignant, it, it struck me for a couple of different reasons. So when that last out was recorded in St. Louis, of course, they have this shot of the dugout and Bagwell and Bijou are hugging. And, um, and, and it's kind of, it's sort of famous in, in our circles, you know, in Houston, we've seen that clip played a few times and, and while very exciting, it also struck me as kind of sad because of course the best defensive team is on the field and Bagwell and Biggio are in the dugout. And that's because they were older players. And um, of course, Jeff had had all of those major shoulder issues. And so they weren't on the field for that final out, but, but players were so happy that Jeff Bagwell was going to a World Series. And of course, they were happy for themselves. They were happy for the team. But they were especially happy. So much of the of the focus, the celebration in the clubhouse, when all the champagne's being thrown about, and, and, and Jeff and Craig, their names came up constantly. But people were just really, really happy that they were having an opportunity after all of those years to, to be a part of possibly you know, winning a World Series. And all through the years, players would say, you know, I really want to win a World Series for Baggy. <laughs> and it just sounded like a little bizarre, but, you know, there was a lot of genuineness about it because it's true. I mean, they really wanted Jeff Bagwell to win a World Series. Um, just so incredibly well-liked. So when I was kind of getting ready for today's press conference and getting it straight in my head, you know, what what things are important and what we want to talk about, what we want to write about. But I also started, you know, conjuring up all these sort of funny memories of, of Bagwell and just sort of illustrate the kind of person that he is. He, he, he's very measured. He's very even keeled. He didn't have like a hot temper or anything like that. He knew how to get his point across though. And, you know, a leader on a team isn't just a guy who performs on the field and, and that's all he does. Um, Jeff Bagwell and Craig Bidget, of course, but they really took on the responsibility of leadership. And like, that's their team. And they sort of set the tone for how everybody needed to carry themselves. So if your team leaders are not behaving like buffoons, then you don't want to be the guy who behaves like a buffoon. It's really the best way that I can explain this. So, 
So I was thinking about one time um, at Minute Maid Park. So Minute Maid, the way it's set up is there's a player's parking garage. And then there's a stairwell that goes down. And then it gets you to the to the tunnel underneath, goes around to eventually you'll hit the Astros Clubhouse. But there's also this huge ramp, of course, where trucks go down and deliveries are made. And the Astros equipment truck goes down there on getaway days. And that's where they load up everything. So theoretically, you could pull your car down there and, and drive it up. And be significantly closer to the Astros clubhouse than if you were just like walking from the garage. So a player decides one day that he does not want to walk the entire distance, I guess with his luggage, I guess it was a getaway day. So he like drives his car up as far as he can get it. And Mr. Bagwell did not find this acceptable or necessary <laughs> and made very clear. He just said to the player, um, we walk here and... If that's too difficult for you, then we'll get you a skateboard. Uh, the point was well taken, of course, and the player never did that again. And and it was just those little things that he would say, kind of big brotherish, kind of fatherly. Um, but he he really didn't need to take it beyond that or embarrass anybody. But he definitely had like sort of a a sharp sense of humor. And and, and by the way, Bagwell had toward the end of his career, he actually would skateboard down from his car you'd see him with this big smile on his face and he'd be skateboarding toward the clubhouse so he did get into the skateboard thing toward the end of his career so when he was suggesting a skateboard he actually was speaking from experience we will be hearing from jeff a little bit later i did speak to him um, briefly at the press conference he seems to be very overwhelmed by all of this which is funny to me because in all of the years that jeff bagwell played baseball there was nothing that he seemed to overwhelm him at any point even in the most stressful of situations, in the most crucial of games, um, he always seemed to be able to handle everything that came to him, including, for those of you who remember, the day that they retired his number, and there were 42,000 people in that ballpark to attend that ceremony, and he gave a flawless speech, and again, just seemed to be completely unfazed. So to see him now, like, really not knowing what to do, I find sort of amusing. He's like, what, what am I doing here? And, you know, players will tell you that they're, they take things in stride. They don't, Oh, I don't care. Uh, you know, if the hall, if I get in the hall of fame, fine. If I don't, that's fine. And they're all pretty much not being completely honest. Um, it, it is important and it is stressful, especially when you don't make it year after year and you stay on that ballot and your time starts running out. Um, I can imagine, and, and he's been, he's gotten some pretty decent, um, vote totals in the last couple of years so so it is kind of stressful and so I think that he's feeling more relieved than everything but it it does all of a sudden just comes in a rush so you get that call from the hall of fame and then you're being whisked off to this press conference you know he had like an impromptu press conference at um at intercontinental airport before his flight to New York last night then he gets to New York and there's just all of this uh, hoopla going on and they go to this press conference and they go to the MLB network and then they go to dinner and they're doing all these things. So there is a lot to take in once you get that call. So I do understand that he's feeling a little overwhelmed, but he has a few months uh, to sort of get ready before he has to stand up in front of about 40,000 people in Cooperstown and and give the speech of his life. But we won't try to get in his head too much about that. Um, So it is, it's kind of, you know, fun to, to watch this, this whole process. I want to talk a little bit about Bagwell as a, as a teammate to young players, because there's been a lot of emotion that has come from players who are now retired, but who were 
just coming into the league and coming into their own when Jeff was toward the end of his career and the Astros were really good. So we're talking about the mid 2000s. Adam Everett, that brings me to him. So he's one of them. So of course he came over as the Astros future shortstop. He came over in a trade from the Red Sox where the Astros sent Carl Everett to Boston for him. Uh, Carl was a very popular player at that time. That was a, a risky move for the Astros, but they had every belief that he was going to be one of the best defensive shortstops of his generation. That was exact words that we were told. And by golly, they were correct on that. But Adam, um, you know, he'd only been in the, in the league for a couple of years, and this was 2003. This is a, a story that I think really subs up uh, what Jeff Bagwell, the responsibility that he took and, and the feeling that he had for young players. So it's 2003. The Astros had lost the division. They were in contention, of course, all year, and they ended up not getting to the postseason. And so after a game in the regular season, what happens is, well, especially at that time, so you, there's a 10-minute cooling-off period, and then the media is led into the clubhouse. Nowadays, the manager goes into a special interview room, and he talks to the media for about 10 minutes anyway, and then the reporters go into the clubhouse. So at this time, just went straight into the clubhouse, and it's kind of like a free-for-all. I mean, you, you know, newspaper reporters are on deadline. And so it, it, things need to happen quickly. And the Astros reporters were fortunate all through the years because Bagwell and Biggio, um, they took it upon themselves to stand at their lockers and speak on behalf of the team every night. You do not have that with every team. And the superstar players from every team are not necessarily doing that. But in Houston, that is the way it was. Um, but on this particular night, for whatever reason, and I don't think anybody remembers why, but Bagwell was actually not in the locker room right at that minute when the media rush happened. Adam Everett was maybe the only one that was in the room. Maybe there were a couple other like relief pitchers that nobody wanted to talk to. But um, so what happens? You know, the reporters just kind of rush upon Adam. They go to his locker. He doesn't really know what to say. Um, they they're, they get trained extensively in, in media training, but there are times like when you, in a situation like this where the Astros had just like lost a division, that that's not exactly the time that's most comfortable for a young player to be speaking about. Adam did what he could, kind of intimidated, just didn't want to say the wrong thing. And Jeff walked in and he saw this happening and he was not happy. And he said to Adam, that will never happen again. And, and if they come up to you, you tell them to come talk to me because that's my job. And you do not have to do this. This is not your burden yet. <laughs> Jeff knew that someday Adam would be a veteran on the team and probably be speaking on behalf of the team. But at that time, Adam was very young. And Adam really, really appreciated that. And he said, you know, he, he's always respected him. But that's when things were really solidified, that he felt like he could go up to Bagwell, approach him and ask him questions and uh, they were very very close through the years and there was like a 10-year age difference between them um, and there was a very kindred spirit between the two of them and Adam was always hugely uh, appreciative of Bagwell. Brad Lidge is another one so he was also a young closer coming up around that time and he'd had a really bad game in Cincinnati and was feeling really terrible after the game and uh, by the way, people, the, these players do feel awful when they have bad games. Just keep that in mind when you're screaming at them. So anyway, I digress. So Bagwell just went up to him and just said a few words, just had a nice conversation with him. It wasn't anything you know, terribly inspiring, but just kind of put him at ease. And, and for, you know, so now we're fast forwarding, what, 13 years? And Lidge is still able to remember that as if it happened yesterday and express like how much it meant to him. So you know that that was like a very impactful time for those guys. 
And um, and that's just kind of the guy that Bagwell was. And, and, and really, the Astros were fortunate to have him. Again, not that superstar players, sometimes they just, you can't relate to them. Or they don't feel like bothering with that kind of stuff. And so to have these unique qualities that Jeff Bagwell had were, um, you know, just made the Astros a very fortunate organization. So we do want to talk, of course, about Jeff Bagwell, the player, <laughs> even though I don't want to go on and on and on and on about all the numbers that you can look up online. Um, but his offensive numbers, of course, got him into the Hall of Fame because that's what matters. But his defense and his base running, he was so, so good, so smooth, so fluid, and probably one of the most complete ball players that any of us will ever see. And he always downplayed his abilities because that's just what he did. But but anybody who watched him could appreciate it, understood it. Brad Osmus said that he had a way – first of all, the way that he was able to read the balls off the bat, I mean, you can't teach that. His instincts were amazing. But he was also able to contort his slides at the last minute in, in a way that you can't even really describe. You certainly can't teach it. It's just – you're either able to do it or you can, and it's uh, it's purely on instinct. So his base running was so good, and he was able to cut corners. Really was was able to shave off, you know, even milliseconds that can make a difference on a play at the plate. He always took the extra base. He he always took risks, but they were they always worked out. Um, just that kind of base runner. And I remember specifically the team was in St. Louis. This was toward the end of his career. There was one out. He was on first base. There was like a very moderately hit fly ball that fooled nobody. nobody. And Jeff just takes off bolting to third base. He's like halfway between second and third when this ball is caught. And he's doubled off like easily. I mean, it wasn't even a question. And I went up to him after the game and I said, I don't even know how to phrase the question because I've never seen you do this before. And I'm not even, I, why did that happen? And he laughed and, and didn't make any excuses except to say like, I was basically an idiot. But the point being that Jeff never, ever forgot how many, how many outs there were in an inning. He never made mental errors. He never, um, you lost his focus. Um, and that made him a very special player. And then there's his defense. And his defense, of course, as a first baseman, um, might not get a lot of attention, but so good. And Astros fans will know exactly where I'm going with this. Um, those bunt plays. I mean, he would be practically at home plate when a, those poor pitchers were trying to bunt. And he'd be practically standing on home plate waiting for it. Um, of course, the 3-6-3 double play, he, he was very good at. But Phil Garner brought up a, a great memory. So when he was managing the Brewers, and they were in Houston, this was at the Astrodome, and Garner, who coached Jeff, actually, um, he was in his first year of coaching with the Astros in 91, Jeff's rookie year. So uh, they had a longstanding history. And Phil was trying to explain to his players like how you're going to be able to bunt on Bagwell. And so they tell them, you just bunt really hard toward him because he can't react. <laughs> that didn't work. Um, so he reacted to everything and he made all the plays. So what they would do is they would bunt as hard as they could down third base because, of course, Bagwell had the territory between the pitcher's mound and first base covered. So they had to come up with some other way to bunt their way on base, and that was to bunt toward third base. So this one particular game, the pitcher did not bunt quite hard enough. There's Bagwell all of a sudden fielding it on the third base side of the pitcher's mound. <laughs> he spins, he throws the second, his left leg ends up in foul territory on the third base side, and he throws the guy out at second. Um, 
So there's really no good way to be able to get a bunt down properly when Jeff Bagwell was just, and, and you know, he, he was fearless. Of course, the chances of a player deciding at the last second to swing away after he was showing bunt are very rare. But, you know, when you're standing on the pitcher, on the, almost at home plate, and the guy decides to swing, it could get a little bit ugly. But it never happened, and, uh, and Jeff has always been lauded so much for his fantastic defense. You can't really count gold gloves. Uh, I get a little miffed when I start talking about how gold glove voting happens because it's the managers and the coaches and some, some pay really close attention, put a lot of thought into it and really, really do a lot of prep work and, and, and make sure that their votes are proper and others cannot be bothered. They have other things to worry about in September, um, especially you know when your team is contending and they may not spend a lot of time really going over the defensive attributes of particular players so what happens it's the ones that hit really well that end up getting gold gloves and and everyone will tell you that it's I think it's approved over time because I think like a lot of people are starting to call these voters out um, but it, it's still a, a flawed system so I think that you have to you can't that's why it's like I'm not sure that people should be considering well he only had x amount of gold gloves when you're deciding if someone's a hall of famer you really have to maybe pay attention to what they were actually doing throughout their career defensively and then make the judgment on that so one final sort of anecdotal story about Bagwell, and this is, ironically, this is after he had retired, and he was a special assistant with the team. He was around quite a bit. He would sometimes go on road trips with them. Um, but the team, the Astros were in a, you know, their slow tailspin. They hadn't, like, hit the rock bottom of the 2010, 11, 12, but the decline had started, and there was a little bit of an issue with some of the more veteran players that were not running hard down to first base anymore. So it became this like festering thing that like started with one guy and then a couple other guys started doing it. So it wasn't that they were just totally mailing it in, but they'd hit a ground ball and they would just sort of jog to first base. I'm not going to name any names, but this was still when the Astros had some pretty good players. They hadn't purged the talent yet. Um, and, and fans were starting to get a little bit mad, quite frankly. And I was hearing about it through fans that were emailing me. Fortunately, Twitter wasn't what it is now yet. So people still had to like actually email in order to express their angst. But they were starting to do it. And it was ha- I was getting more than a couple a day. You're starting here at the ballpark. People were booing. Um, I have no patience for players who do not run hard down to first base. It's uh, the easiest thing to do. It's actually something that it's the only thing that the people watching them play can also do. Like none of us can do anything that baseball players can do on the field except run down to first base. I'm not saying we can run as quickly, but it is something that we're actually able to do. And I think that's why people get so mad when ballplayers decide that they're not going to put a full effort into that. And you don't have to run and strain a hammy. You just have to have a nice speed running down to first base. So I said to one of the Astros coaches, um, it's starting to get a little bit ugly. And, you know, just FYI, the fans are starting to get a little restless. So, okay. I, I, I run into Bagwell at some point. I don't remember where we were, but... I said to him, I have a question for you. I want to, you know, tell me what you think about this. And I asked him, what do you think about these players? Did they not need to run down hard down to first base? Am I making too much of this? He says, and this is exactly how the conversation went. How many games did we win the division by in 1999? I said, one. He said, how many games did we win the division by in 2001? 
I said, well, actually, none. You you won it because from the head-to-head matchups. So you were the division winner of the Cardinals. Okay, how many games did we win the wild card by in 2004? I said one. How many games did we win the wild card by in 2005? I said one. He said, do you need to know what my answer is? And basically what his point was, if you don't run hard down to first base, then nothing bad can happen to the fielder when he's throwing the ball, right? Because he's got time and he's going to make the throw. But what if you're running hard and the, and the fielder fumbles it a little bit and he throws it over the first baseman's head and then you end up on second base and then you end up scoring. So instead of being out, you just score a run. Your team wins the game by a run. Your team wins the division by a game. And that was his point. It's not, he, he said, it's not hard to just, if you can't run down first base four times a day, Perhaps you need to be doing something else for a living, was his general thought. Um, it was probably not that much of a quinky dink that this uh, slow running down to first base happened after Bagwell had retired. Perhaps it wouldn't have happened if he was still playing. I don't know. I don't want to really spend too much time thinking about that, but um, I found that to be interesting and um, and. And I respect it a lot that he, he had had you know, that kind of opinion that you need to play your hardest all the time. And, um, and no, it's not okay not to run hard down to first base. So let's listen to what Jeff has to say before I turn it over to him. I just want to wish all Astros fans a just have a wonderful time uh, celebrating Jeff Bagwell. Um, he is as happy for you as he is for himself even if he is a little nervous right now, but this means a lot to him to bring this to, to Houston, just as Craig Biggio said, happy for the, the city, um, the team, the organization. So enjoy it and enjoy celebrating a truly, truly great person. And we will catch you next time. Let's hear from the man himself, Jeff. Congratulations. Um, I have been talking a lot to your former teammates and the young, some of the young guys. The overlying theme was what a leader you were, how comfortable you made them. And the thing that they remember most about you is not so much what you did on the field, but what you did for them to help them become major leaguers. What does that mean to you? Well, that's my job. Um, I mean, we're all in this for the same reason, to win baseball games and to be better players. But there's a lot, a lot of things that go on with that, too, is you have to be a bit better person, too. And there, there is something about being Houston Astro. When you leave the field, there's something else that you have to be also. Um, and kids, you know, they, they need to understand that. I mean, it's fun, and kids want to walk out with their Astro stuff on. I'm like, no, that ain't happening. Um, kids are fun, and teammates are fun. I mean, that, that's the entire thing in the entire world is kids uh, and just being a good teammate. When you, you are revered for the person you are by the people that you played with, more than anyone that I've ever been around. That has to mean something to you, that this is like an, this was a very emotional thing for a lot of guys that have talked about you. Yeah, it, it, it does, but it's not something I tried. It's just the way I was. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, there's people that would say I'm not that nice a guy either. But <laughs> but uh, that was just what I'm supposed to do. Are you uh, – you seem overwhelmed. You didn't seem overwhelmed by anything in the entire time that I've ever been around you. You've never seen overwhelmed by anything in baseball. I have no idea what's going on right now. I mean, this is ridiculous. Fun? It is. But, I mean, it's less than 24 hours. I mean, I'm just like, well, what? what is really going on here? <laughs> but uh, obviously it's fun. To be with these guys is great. 
Congratulations. Thank you, Elsa. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go every night on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details.